0: Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 6, The Iron Throne. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as at Lies on Tumblr, Twitter, and LiesandArborGold.com.
1: And I'm another one of your hosts, Eliana, and you probably know me as Glass Table Girl on the A of Ice and Fire subreddit, the Maester Monthly Podcast, and as Arithmetric over on Twitter.
0: Hey, guess what? The last spoken word. <laughs> The last dialogue in the Game of Thrones series. The hit TV show that everyone's been following for years and years. The last words were The Queen in the North. Just putting that out there. The Queen in the North. Anyways, the last episode. Ever. If anything. Forever. Until,
1: I don't know, The Long Night, but that's a prequel. And maybe we'll find out why it's still winter. But...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it was still it was finally winter in King's That's Landing true. again. They like remembered the weather That's happened true. today. That was And nuts. I mean I get
1: it. Like winter takes you know, we don't go directly from winter into spring. I get it. Especially when you're in in not a swamp like I am.
0: <laughs> Remember when Jamie left and it started to snow in King's Landing when he went yeah. north? And
1: I mean it doesn't snow all the time. Sometimes it's cold and sunny. And I don't like those days as much. I don't like it when it's so easy. I don't like winter. Never
0: mind. That's and that. then there was a bunch of snow coming down in the beginning of the episode, and then four weeks later, I guess it was spring.
1: Yeah, or it was just a sunny winter. Also possible. Yeah,
0: all the snow was gone, Eliana.
1: I mean, sometimes there isn't snow when it's winter, especially when you're further down
0: in a swamp. I'm from Michigan. That's true. I I, I was born in Michigan, so that's probably my problem. Speaking
1: here. someone who lives in a in a capital city. Where it's further down, halfway through, in terms of latitude. Yeah. 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 It's not exactly halfway, I don't actually know the latitude. I don't But I don't you know you, like you know what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the episode though, it starts, picks up a little where the last one left off, and now it's Tyrion walking through the carnage left of King's Landing, back and trying to get to the Red Keep, so that he can find his siblings, Jamie and Cersei.
0: That was a bummer. It was a it was a good scene. Dinklage acted the shit out of it.
1: Yeah, he did. And I mean, you know, he walks through the rubble. He comes across there there's a lot of things leading up to him getting there. Um he sees a small toy horse that's clutching the hands of a small girl who's now burned because we've never ever seen this before. And by that I mean, uh we've seen them we've seen this girl with her horse last episode, but of course it's a callback especially with Sir Davos right here. To Shireen and her tiny stag. Um, most of you probably made that connection last week, right, when Arya was looking at it. But I think having Davos here is just another reminder of another tragic character. A lot of people have already discussed the connections between Stannis' storyline and Danny's and i think there's a lot of it that's written very much in this context of uh an exchange right that price that people are willing to pay especially with Tyrion's discussion on the price that danny is willing to pay for things like her name is even re- reminiscent of the silver coin of the roman empire denarius her brother uses her as a coin to purchase an army and then miri Mazdor introduces early on in danny's storyline that idea that only death may pay for life and this runs through Stannis' storyline with that idea of cost, where, like, your grace, said Davos, the cost. And Stannis is all like, I know the cost. Last night, gazing into the hearth, I saw things in the flames as well. I saw a king, a crown of fire, on his brows, burning burning Davos, his own crown, consumed his flesh, and turned him into ash.
0: Fire consumes. Exactly,
1: and I think it's very much talking, of course, like of what the price of a crown is, as we see. And I think... The story's also asking us at what point is the cost too high? When it's your own soul, that's a discussion within the story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What is what is worth it? How much are you willing to lose along the way to win? Yeah, so we move into this scene where Tyrion is just... He uncovers the rubble. He finds Jaime's hand, so he just starts digging, and he sees Cersei's wig, so, you know, he knows they're there. And... <laughs> Uh, He just starts pounding into the pile of rubble, very upset as soon as he finds out they're dead.
1: Is this meant to be? I'm not sure if it is, but it reminded me of, remember, the discussion that Tyrion and Jaime have before Tyrion's trial.
0: Smashing beetles. Exactly.
1: It's like he's smashing beetles. And I think people kind of interpreted that to be a sort of like discussion maybe like people were definitely looking into that way deeper than I think it was meant to be on like nihilism and life and stuff and Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe this is supposed to be an echo of it but I also could be looking too deeply into this I don't know Jamie and Cersei were the were the costs of what Tyrion Tyrion's actions I guess but also I don't know the smashing of the rubble maybe Orson cousin Orson and the Beatles maybe
0: hmm finally a reason for that stupid scene (laughs) Uh, or was it? Otherwise, it's like a. Was it uh, it's like a seven-minute scene?
1: Was it? So- I didn't time it.
0: I don't know. I didn't time it, but it was long for like a scene where they discuss their uncle or cousin, yeah, cousin, <sighs> smushing beetles, whatever. Uh, I don't know. I felt like the scene was super moving. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion tried to protect his family and be a part of them. Even though they were like garbage to him and others, I mean, Jamie, like we heard last episode, was never as bad as Cersei, but Tyrion put his very last bit of faith in them when he realized Danny was off the rails and he finds him dead. Nothing good came of any of it for as hard as he tried and the cost that he paid. Yeah. And uh, Jamie was the only light in his life growing up for so long. And obviously, I joke about how I don't pay attention to their discussions, but. It was just really emotional. That was Tyrion's last hope, his last try, and they're they're just gone. Uh, I think in the books we've had a lot of discussion lately around the fandom of you know Tyrion. In the books, is obviously going to be the devil on Danny's shoulder. Mm-hmm. He's already kind of instigated the dance of the dragons by telling Aegon to go west uh, and go to Westeros and you know sit there and wait for your auntie and then fight it out. <laughs> uh, she'll come to you and marry you, yeah, son. Sure. He said. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Nothing could ever go wrong. Um, yeah, I feel like in the books, yes, that is that is what's going to happen for sure. Tyrion is definitely going darker and he's kind of reveling in his misery. However, especially because he's one of George's favorite characters and Paris's favorite characters, I think Tyrion's going to come out of it. Uh, that's kind of what I think this is telling us a little bit here. That once he loses his family, either in The Winds of Winter or in A Dream of Spring, whenever it goes down, uh, if he loses them because of Daenerys, it might change his mind a lot.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely something that we can see kind of set up, especially with Tyrion Hmm. and his dream of being Maely's The Monstrous, that sort of duality between loving and hating his brother and his family. So, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's something that's definitely there, and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out in the books. He's gonna probably- Yes. Distra- he's gonna <laughs> probably take Casterly Rock, but a building is not the people. Except for when we're talking about no. the symbolism of the Red Keep and the Iron Throne, then then it is.
0: Then it's one thing. Then, yes. it, then it is
1: <laughs> multiple things. <laughs> oh my god. Uh,
0: It also really reminded me of the quote that Tyrion said to Cersei. It came full circle kind of on itself. Not only did it wrap up for Cersei, but also for Tyrion that a day will come when you think yourself safe and happy and suddenly your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth and you'll know the debt is paid. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like his joy turned to ashes in his mouth. This is, you know, he wanted to bring down you know, like be with Daenerys and be one of her advisors and bring down, you know, the, the the government and the corruption. But at the end of the day, that price was very high, and he is very conflicted with his family and always has been and always will be. And uh, he was not happy. Yeah. He was not happy seeing the institution. The, debt, the payment, go down.
1: the price. Tyrion's story, in and of itself, is also a kind of tragedy. Less so, I think, Shakespearean, but maybe maybe somewhat Greek, you know, mm, like, mm-hmm. they survive, but they're not quite the same, Oedipus is alive, but he's like, I'm in exile now, and I've blinded myself, and I'm like, okay, you- that is your choice, dude.
0: God, yeah, the Greek are so dramatic.
1: <laughs> aren't- aren't they? <laughs> maybe comedic, <laughs> uh, whatever. Anyways. Oh my god.
0: I love the scene next, where John is trying to stop Grey Worm and the Unsullied from killing prisoners of war. Um, It felt very unsettling and sinister, and I think it was a good scene. Uh, John tells him, you know, it's over, it's all over, (laughs) Grey Worm. And it's very Ned. It reminds me of Ned coming to the Sack of King's Landing and, you know, Tywin delivering the babies bound up in the the red blankety thingies to hide the blood. Uh, And Davos actually got to say a couple things here. He, as well said you know like whoa 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 this is not what we do gray worm not what we do
1: yeah it was an interesting scene i as someone said on twitter a cast jacob anderson and more things he has done great with what he has been given yes. he hasn't been given a lot of lines right but i mean gray worm doesn't always speak that much and so i think that's in line but also he's done a great job this season someone suggested casting oh, yeah. him in a, in blade and i was like oh shit Reason. That's yeah. funny.
0: That's what uh we've been saying at my oh, household well. about him. He I I feel like he's a musician. He too. is. I have to he look is. it up. Yes, okay. I'm not making that up. Good. Good. Yeah. So Yeah, he did great this season. Uh I, I keep saying it, but that moment in the long night when he lifts the trenches and the look on his face mm-hmm. as he watches, like he knows what he's doing, he's damning his men. Yep. And he has to lift the trench, and especially to go from the the Unsullied, you know, from season three Unsullied versus season eight Unsullied is a lot different. There's a lot more personality and seeing them grow as people, seeing Grey Worm grow as a person and not.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, he's paid a lot, too. He's given up a lot in coming here and following Daenerys. And I think there's something interesting that he says when confronted by John and Davos in terms of the Lannister men. Greyworm stresses that these are free men and that they chose to follow Circe and I think that's interesting choice in language that he points out that they were free men unlike the Unsullied it's almost like there's a grudge right like that these men have had freedom all their lives and yet with that freedom they chose to follow a bad leader and the Unsullied for so much of their lives didn't get to have that choice it was taken from them and even when it was given to them it was sort of muddied because they didn't have they weren't able to be built to have everything that they need to have agency, like their, their lives weren't on a foundation, right? Like mm-hmm. to have that, and so Grey Worm kind of seems to despise that misuse of that freedom and power that they have. But I do also want to acknowledge that there is a flip side to all of this, and it obviously feels a little unsettling in the next few scenes as well when Daenerys addresses everything everyone like her troops right and i want to acknowledge that there's a lot of discomfort that people feel over gray worm's story and the portrayal of like the dothraki as as violent invaders in westeros and that idea that the unsullied are violent upon being freed and i think i just want to acknowledge that that this there is a growth in grey worms, but there's it's worth questioning like these harmful narratives and how they re- might reinforce bad stereotypes of what freedom means for people who have experienced slavery, especially like with the way that show is showing is setting them up. And like we don't see any of the Dothraki women. Like this was a whole culture, and they all came with Daenerys. So where are the people? Where are they amongst this? Because they weren't necessarily always amongst the riders, but they didn't go out right during the long night either. So.
0: So were they even there? I mean, we yeah. don't see female Dothraki the last time we really see the female Dothraki or the Dosh uh in season six. Yeah. That's really, isn't that the last time we've seen a female Dothraki? We've kind of flattened their culture. And the show has done this in a couple ways. And with that whole setup for the violent invaders, as people who have experienced slavery uh, from the Unsullied, and just like, <sighs> Danny's speech, her address with the troops... I like it on one level, but I know uh, in having a partner who is Jewish, they are not happy about it. Um, It was a very uncomfortable scene, especially how they're setting it up with just, like, this idea. I don't know. Even, like, the communism he feels, they kind of went with it, too. But it was very Nuremberg, uh, and Amelia's acting was amazing during the speech. I I do want to point out, like, she has killed it with dark Danny this season, especially because it's such a switch for her acting wise and tonally how she's playing Mm it. Um, I I think there are a lot of other podcasts with representation who will do this a lot better speaking about this because of their experiences, but it did make me uncomfortable as well. I think these writers really needed some balance in that writer's room. We know this. They Mm -hmm. haven't had a female writer since 2013. Uh, They needed a sensitivity check. They needed someone to tell them no to some things, I will say the one thing I did like about the speech was it mirrors perfectly that Cal Drogo speech in season Mm -hmm. one after she is almost poisoned down in the market. And this happens after almost being poisoned last episode by Varys, right? And it's the speech that he says that the stallion who will mount the world to him, I pledge a gift. To him, I will give this iron chair his mother's father sat in. I will give him seven kingdoms. I, Drogo Cal, will do this thing. And he says that he will take his Kalasar west to where the world ends and ride the wooden horses across the black salt water as no cal has done before. And then he says he will kill the men in the iron suits, like Daenerys said, and tear down their stone houses. I will rape their woman, take their children as slaves, and bring their broken gods back to Vase Dothrak to bow down beneath the Mother of Mountains. Uh, It it was a very interesting mirror and seeing her go that route Mm -hmm. and seeing her kind of uh, take that attack on. But it was a little also unsettling because she says, I'm going to free people, you know, from the north, from Winterfell to Dorne. I'm going to go liberate. We're going to go liberate this country. But liberating, as we saw last episode, is burning everything down.
1: Yeah, I think we're supposed to feel that sort of dissonance right between those two ideas and how they clash and how the actions don't seem to match up with the words but as you said i i know that this i'm pretty sure this is what they were going for intentionally i mm-hmm. don't know how i feel about that choice i mean i know how i i i don't feel great about the choice and i you know your partner also as as he pointed out in um, another place and with later scenes where Tyrion uses that language, of first they came for X group of people, mm-hmm. and, and it evokes uh, the language that the oppressed have used and uh, mischaracterizes it
0: amongst yes, the oppressors. Entirely. And so
1: I, I think that there is, I think, a tonal miss on the production part
0: yeah I think uh and you can obviously understand this from a lot of your personal experiences too, but you know uh, being not white in general if yeah. you're if you're not white, this is there's a lot of people who are not white in this world uh, a lot of them like very, very many of them, believe it or not, I am the whitest of whites and I can tell you there are a lot of people that are not like I am it's just it's very obvious that there are a lot of people like me in that room except not female just yeah but (laughs) there are a lot of uh white males in that room and there was no tone check and it was insensitive and people are gonna say this is stupid and sjw to think but it it was insensitive and it also goes to this big form of media and all this erasure of things like the holocaust and different things that happened there and different sufferings that people have gone through it kind of whitewashes those things by saying that, by having Tyrion kind of use that kind of language. Uh, and it's something that as that spreads through media, that becomes how people view it. And as history goes on, you know as well as I do, even in Game of Thrones, in A Song of Ice and Fire, that history, uh, after a while, becomes very scarce and just broad strokes. Yeah,
1: I mean, something that is true, Tyrion says this episode we'll come back to that later on, of course, is stories have power. And mm-hmm. I think that something he doesn't touch on is to an extent the responsibility of using those stories and power in terms of narrative that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's very uh, Cattle and Stark, you mm-hmm. know, we're all songs in the end if we're lucky.
1: Yeah, if we're lucky. Um, or maybe, maybe it's better to not be, depending on what
0: yeah. How people sing of you. Remove yourself from history. Uh Tyrion was removed from history, so that's true. <laughs> but first, speaking of removing, Tyrion calls Danny out on her bullshit. And he's just like, She's all you freed your brother. You committed treason. And he's like, You burned a whole city of innocent people, down <laughs> <laughs> Very ballsy. I will give him that. I'm like, damn Tyrion, good for yep. you. Uh he pulls in Ned, mm-hmm. he takes his pin off, and he exchanges a look with Jon as Daenerys has him carted off by Unsullied. And you can see that look on Jon's face. He's like, oh, fuck, now I gotta make a choice, don't I? Yep. Once
1: more. Once more he does. And then turns out Arya's also been walking around here, too. She is stuck all the way from the north down to King's Landing.
0: She was sitting there, like, staring at the horses that the Dothraki are on right before the speech. Yeah. You see her, and I'm like, I'm just sitting there, and she's like, Someone took my fucking horse.
1: Where was her horse? That is a question that I have. Did she just, like, leave it? And she's like, maybe-
0: Ratcon. <clears throat> maybe she let
1: that horse go. She's like, Go, be free. Or maybe, I mean, it was an injured horse. What if it died?
0: Wow. That's, that's rough. That's like. That's how I think of. A- you just went. You hit all that- of them. That's,
1: I think, a very uh, sobering thing for me, of course, to say.
0: Yes, that's. I I am kind of worried. That's why I am surprised right now. I am like, "Oh, you okay, buddy? <laughs> You've come to terms with the horse." I am coming to terms show?
1: with a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of things, Chloe. And then Arya, of course, meets up with Jon and tells her the mm-hmm. truth of the situation. That you know, ah, uh, you know, as an Aegon being first in line ish, you are never gonna be safe.
0: Yeah, if you don't take the throne or try to like finalize it, your life's gonna be in danger.
1: Which is also, I think, while we're speaking of parallels of Daenerys's earlier storyline, that's kind of the choice that she had to make when it came to Viserys and her son.
0: Yeah, absolutely. She did what she had to do for her and her child, and she knew that, you know, Viserys was not happy about the turn of events of her, you know, being the, uh, the star incest child. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah so um, had to had to save yourself and protect yourself you know yeah. and it's just like that line that Tyrion has in the books the you know of course she's proud how could she not be
1: yeah of course yeah I, I keep thinking back to that quote today and I'm like that's her it, it's, it's yeah, such a great it's a strong quote it's a great quote and description of her it, it's it's a difficult passage um, especially in this context
0: Tyrion in prison talks to Jon about love versus duty. I thought this was a really great scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is his third time being imprisoned, of course, Tyrion Mm -hmm. in the series. And he asks Jon if he brought wine (laughs) immediately. So very Tyrion, very much so. Uh, It doesn't change. I, I didn't look at them, but one of the leaks allegedly was
1: that Tyrion has a trial and that they filmed mm-hmm. it, maybe as like one of those diversions, right, of uh, fake endings or fake things that yes. happen, but I do think it's an interesting idea because I have kind of wondered if Tyrion gets another trial, because he's had two already, right? He's had the, excuse me, he's yep. had the one in the Vale, he's had the one in King's Landing, both have been trial by combats, and I it almost makes me wonder if he has a third one, right, rule of three.
0: Basically the whole idea was that Tyrion gets arrested for treason, for plotting, and uh, they put him on trial, and then he's executed in studio. They didn't see the end of it, they said. I also am wondering, it was supposed to take place in the Dragon Pit, so I am kind of wondering if, you know, it, it's really not, it, it was only filmed in the Dragon Pit and they had false information or something, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess uh, we might hear about it eventually, but... When the book's yeah, it,
1: out, when the 10th book comes out. <laughs> right.
0: Right. But, yeah, it's definitely rule of three. It's a nice way to close the series, having Tyrion in jail. And, I mean, this time he's kind of just like, whatever, guess it is what it is. Saw this bullshit coming. I'm having a bad life. (laughs) He does have a bad life, though. (laughs) It's not great. (sighs) Yeah, right now it's not, that's for sure. So Tyrion tells Jon that Danny will never stop fighting. Uh, she will never stop. Just like Adam Feldman's essay we talked about last week, Daenerys achieved peace and then she decided war felt better. And that's kind of where she is right now.
1: It's kind of sad. We're going to come back to part of this quote later on. But again, in Danny's chapter of A Storm of Swords, Danny 10, she thinks like, that the seven faced god is kind of confusing. Then she goes, the red priest believed in two gods she'd heard, but two who were eternally at war. Danny liked that even less. She would not want to be eternally at war. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like that's what's being set up
0: here. Yeah. There's this line, uh John says to Tyrion, You've been by her side counseling her till today. You've been by her side justifying <laughs> her actions and encouraging them till today don't you remember oh two episodes ago was it when you're in the war room in Winterfell and you shoot your sisters a look a mean look and say yes we support you daenerys like what what is that john like i guess you're probably likely just justifying your actions especially to yourself it feels like you you you've been by her side for a while now
1: I think it's just so difficult because they keep setting it up as Daenerys is foolish for not listening to her advisors at this point in the series. But like the rest of the story, of course she doesn't listen to her advisors. Her advisors were fucking wrong the rest of the story. Like Jorah's like, yeah, let's buy slaves. And then Berystyn's like, no, just leave them, ignore them. And like neither of those are good choices, all right? Like one of them is complicit in the system, like by allowing it to happen and the other is actively perpetuating the system of slavery and she decides to change that right
0: and like well and it's worse than that because where she is in the books right now she's showing up with what makoro marwin the mage uh, yeah all these dark characters she doesn't have good advisors right now barristin's gonna die Jorah's the only good one left obviously missandei's great he's not... she's, like smarter than all of them in 10 Jorah's like <laughs> yeah missandei's literally a child Jorah's. Doesn't he just doesn't really give that great of advice? Because at the
1: beginning, also his advice wasn't for Danny's benefit. His advice was like for Illyrio
0: and Beres's benefit. He's like, let's just turn back right. now. Let's just go. Right. And then, of course, you have to look at like Tyrion joins in, and we know where he is right the now. Box, and we know yeah. what he just did with Aegon. So he's so deep and dark right now. He's gonna end up joining Danny. I mean, you're looking at, she's going to be coming to Westeros looking like a villain. Uh, I completely understand where the setup is. She's coming to Westeros with, like, this sinister, like, Meiji, Like, all the fire priests are going to be, like, with her. And she's going to have this huge horde of Dothraki. And we obviously know Westeros is intolerant.
1: Yeah, she's coming into the fucking Death Eaters. And, like, of course everyone's going to think.
0: Anyways. So, there's another really great line in the scene that I like when in the scene, Tyrion says Danny's house words, "Fire and blood," have you know made her. That's what she is. And John kind of flips on him. And he's like, obviously, you can see he's been repressing this as he's like trying to survey and figure out. He's got Arya in one ear, Tyrion in the other, telling them, you know, like this is bad, this is bad. And finally, he flips and he's like, "House words don't make the people. Like, is that what I am to you? Am I fire and blood? Is that what that means?" I love that Jon
1: does push back on that because I'm like...
0: I, Finally. Yeah,
1: and I mean, this is something that he's been wrestling with internally as to who he is when it comes to family, and it's something that is within the series, and it's something that Tyrion also wrestles with himself of are we our family, are we our own person? Like, to what extent mm-hmm. is our destiny decided by the sins of our fathers versus, like, and, like, the blood in our veins versus, like who we fucking are in our choices. And I think that's something that the story is straddling.
0: Yeah. Good so good job, John. Yeah, that was, that was nice. But at the same time, yeah. John paired that with justifying Danny's actions. Mm-hmm. Tyrion has a great, like th- this whole entire scene was really good. It had a lot of exposition and a lot of characterization for Danny, but the problem is it's the last episode of the entire series. Yeah. Like, you're, you're using this scene to give context to Danny's sudden change in attitude, but it's a little late to contextualize it. Like, why didn't you try this in episode four, maybe? <laughs> or episode two? Or, you know, it, it. obviously there were hints, there were bits of isolation, there were tiny scenes where you saw how she felt alone, but I just feel like there should have been more of this then. There's this line Tyrion says, and also... Great writing here. <laughs> get ready. Everywhere she goes, evil men die and we cheer for it. And she grows more powerful and more sure that she is right.
1: I get it. He's talking to the audience. I see it.
0: Yeah. But I get it. And I agree like to an extent, but he didn't have the flip side of why that's a problem. And on its own, that's just Danny kills bad people and we're excited about it.
1: Yeah. he He's not- exploring that difference between i guess what is justice what is vengeance and also mm-hmm. what to what extent should it be enacted and i mean like again not justifying like fucking slavery because like that's something that was not i think that mm-hmm. was uh a little sloppily done to be to be nice about it <laughs> uh in uh-huh. in this Agreed. in this speech etc as we've already discussed but it's something that they're nodding to, and as you were saying of setting it up earlier, it's not even just setting it up earlier in the season, which, yes, it needed to be done. And I know people say that you can see it if you look back on the previous episodes, but in the books, people have been talking about how this would happen with only book five, which is much further back in, if you chart it to like where the seasons are, right? Uh, yes. In, in Game of Thrones, and... At the time when Danny chooses Dragon's Plant no Trees, even like when we start seeing uh, the things with the great Masters or whatever in Slaver's Bay, like the a lot of the conquering of Slaver's Bay is like Act two right of a five act story of her storyline and then Dragon's mm-hmm. Plant no Trees happens like early on slash halfway through maybe Act three of her storyline. And you're supposed to be getting that gradual and very obvious build up throughout Act three and four. But we're getting we're getting all of it in Act Five, which is about three to two episodes. And I and that's, I think, the major problem that a lot yes. of us have. It wasn't if a narrative, right? A story is a house. Act One is your foundation, right? That's your character, your yep. exposition. And then you're building everything on it with Act Two, three, four, and five. And it just feels like, Five is this huge, heavy stone tower. And, like, Acts 1 and 2 are stone, but in the middle we have straw. Yeah. And I think that's just how I feel. And I understand, like, many people disagree. That's something that I felt of Acts 3 and 4 of Game of Thrones, and
0: especially with Daenerys' story. Absolutely. So... How do you feel about that John justification? Do you think that's him justifying to himself out loud? Or do you think that's him kind of regressing in character? I mean, obviously he chooses, but... What what do you mean by regressing in character? Where is he regressing to? Well, obviously in the last episode, he wasn't happy mm-hmm. with what happened. And he does later call it out to Danny that it wasn't okay, but... To Tyrion, right here, he justifies it all and says, "This she had to do it." Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just feeling like either I don't know how to feel about it. I, I, I know, just take it with a grain of salt because it's a show and it's not that deep. But I also, at the same time, I'm like, I just want to understand: is this just like him trying to lie to himself? Is that what they're implying? I think it is. I. I think it's a valid so. question
1: that you're asking. I think as you're saying it's him in denial and trying to lie to himself. And maybe that's part of him lying to himself about Danny's also him lying to himself maybe about himself and where he stands as Tyrion calls out throughout this conversation mm-hmm. and it's at the end of the episode especially like when he comes back to Ghost that we're like oh yes this is who John
0: was the whole time?
1: supposed to be, but he's just been confused, and things have been things are rough. You know, when you die and
0: come back and go to war. Well, I think a lot of this too has to deal with him not dealing with his parentage, yeah. and that fire and blood moment we just spoke about. That's like the first real dealing with his parentage moment. You know, out yeah. loud.
1: Does he deal with his parentage at all in this episode? Not really.
0: No, that was it right there. That was that was it. That was the only moment. It didn't matter. Yep. Yep. So, okay. Finally, we do get a little bit of an Easter egg. Uh, if you guys remember this character, his name's Maester Aemon. Mm-hmm. He was in the show for oh, you know what? Four seasons. Was that four seasons? Uh, yeah. 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 That so guy. There. There's a speech that. Uh, and that. That's you know the the last Targaryen that just died. Besides Danny and John, there is only three of them laughed in the show and uh Maester Eamon died, so Danny, who's never met any of her family or, you know, doesn't get to hear much about them, has has not heard about Maester Eamon from John. You think he would mention I think he would mention her in the books. Or him. Sorry, I him. I think Yeah, yeah. I think he would mention him in the books. I hope so. Uh he says to Tyrion that love is the death of duty. And Tyrion's like, did you just come up with that like, right now? It was pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's like, no, no, no. It was Mace. I Day. ain't and- that clever. And I laughed real hard at that. I was like, <laughs> uh, Tyrion says sometimes duty is the death of love. So that's setting up. Obviously, we know what is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knew? As John leaves, Tyrion brings up John's sisters and it becomes John's choice. Tyrion was direct blood of his family, and he never got to fit in with those lions, and he wanted to so badly. John was never directly related to his family or legitimized, but now his family loves and accepts him, knowing his parentage. And Danny Danny is that missing link to his life and past. It's all that's left of this family he never knew he had. So John's choice right now is choosing between duty and between love and uh it's it's hard
1: it's almost now that you frame it this way like Tyrion saying i can't choose my family anymore but you can yeah Uh, it it
0: does kind of ring that way doesn't it
1: it does like don't give it all up and again i think this is that like at what cost thing that's set up in danny's storyline and like that idea of what choices John has is something that's set up very early in John's storyline, especially in a Game of Thrones. And it's very parallel right to at what costs and Danny's storyline. And I think this is something that I struggle with in the way it's presented in this episode because I don't think I find that the idea that duty is the death of love is very simplistic. Because I don't think they necessarily need to be counter to each other, and we see that especially in Ned Stark, who, like, duty's not better than love. Ned chooses love over duty, right? Like we've Mm -hmm. we've discussed this again and again. It's a different kind of duty in a way, and I guess Tyrion's complicating that here too, right?
0: Which do you love more? Which family do you love more? Yeah, and at the same time, I wouldn't even say. Ned chose love over duty. Ned chose his duty to love. Yes. God, this is getting confusing. Right? But they're not he different. He chose the duty he has to love. He chose duty to his sister and to his family, uh, who he loved. Yeah. And like you say, they were the same. They're just both different duties, I guess. And it just reminds me of that line from Maester Aemon in John 8, in a Game of Thrones that we just read a little bit ago with Joe Magician. The old man laid a withered, spotted hand on his shoulder. It hurts, boy, he said softly. Oh yes, choosing. It has always hurt and always will. I know. Yep.
1: And John makes a choice and he must live with those decisions as Amon has. As Eamon has, which he repeats. <laughs> I know. It's just so sad when Eamon's like, as I have, as I have. That's gonna haunt John. Right. There's also this yeah. progression here in terms of <laughs> choices or Something that you know, we were bringing up character regression, and I'm not sure if this is something the story is trying to set up or not, but I'm going to give it a voice um, and put it out into the universe. I believe in you. Yeah, like we're going to get this to this part very soon because you know, we're doing a reread of John chapters and we are now at A Clash of Kings and. John encounters Egret, right, and two other wildlings, and he hesitates in killing Egret upon learning that she's a woman. Corin half hand orders John to execute Egret, which thus makes it his duty, and then John doesn't execute Egret. As a consequence of that action, the wildlings find them, and Corin and he are captured. A bunch of the other men from the Shadow Tower died, right? Um, that's the right ser- sequence of events, right? Yeah. Uh, died, but like John and Corrin being captured, that leads to John having to kill Corrin Halfhand, who of course was very valuable to the Night's Watch. And I'm not saying that John was wrong to not kill Egret. I'm not saying he was right to not kill Egret, but it is a choice, and that choice has a price. And the first time he chose not to kill Egret, and it's like this time
0: he chooses differently. Right? There's no right thing. I see that little part right there, you know, had he not had he killed Egret right away, how many lives would he have saved? And of course on the flip side with Danny, for him, killing her means he's saving lives. Uh, and it's choosing you know, it's it's the harder choice. The the road probably less traveled, seeing as you shouldn't just like go killing your lover or ex lover. Definitely or, you not know, like on the rocks lover. It's not a great um, it's not a
1: great uh uh Thing either.
0: No, absolutely not. And it does remind me of that quote in Storm of Swords when he thinks about Egret, just that it was wrong to love her. It was wrong to leave her. Yeah. Yep.
1: There was no right choice.
0: John's forever going to be haunted by both of these. There's never a right choice.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, at last, here we are at the Iron Throne.
0: Yeah, the music is a slow haunting Game of Thronesy theme being sung in ooze. <laughs> and uh ooh, 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 ooh. real slow, real sad. Really slaps. It's a banger. It is uh, I really suggest it. I am so excited about this OST. Ramen just did us good. He was great. Uh that's Yeah. He did a lot of heavy lifting this season, in my opinion. Danny approaches the Iron Throne and she reaches out to touch it. It's This was a sad shot, a very sad shot, seeing her finally get to touch, you know, the the seat where so many of her ancestors have sat. Her father sat there. Um, So many people have sat in that seat and she reaches out to touch it. It's just it was sad. It was this scene. Well, maybe I don't love the writing of the show as far as how they got to it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was really done well. I was very surprised prize that I liked it as much as I did I expected to be really upset and I was but it was like in a different way yeah yeah
1: yeah I thought that they did that so well and they just really executed that meeting with the Iron Throne amidst the sky and everything just so great and like on one hand I'm kind of sad she never sat in the fucking chair but also like the entire thing like the fact that kind of makes it more painful in a way like the entire scene was just hopeful right as she touches it and then the music changes and it was sad and, and it was terrifying and beautiful yes she's reunited with her family through the throne and then through john on the other
0: fucking side <sighs> the death of duty the death of love death of uh danny <laughs> uh, i i do uh I appreciate Amelia's acting so much in this episode. She nailed it. She's nailed this season. She had this very... This season's been amazing for her. It's been such, like, different work for her. Uh, Instead of, like, Rhaenyra triumphant, we get Rhaenyra overthrown. Rhaenyra defeated is kind of the vibes I'm getting as this happens. And it... All Nisa Nisa Azora high discussion aside, we won't even touch that I because like prophecies it. don't matter on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just don't matter and it's not important. <laughs> uh, right now, it just doesn't matter, right? It's not going to forge anything. No one cares. Uh, there's this subtle dig about the throne size almost because <laughs> Amelia, uh, Daenerys is talking about how when she was a kid, you know, Viserys used to tell her that it was a thousand swords and she's like, I'm a kid, I can't count past 20. Like what the hell, uh, so it's a cute little moment, she's like trying to be sweet and soft toward John, and she she says, "How would I know like I wouldn't know how many swords that is, and I think that's supposed to be like a subtle almost digger joke because uh George has made it clear that throne is not not what he imagines the iron throne as he imagines it much more imposing and taller. And that throne is not a thousand swords. There are not a thousand swords on that throne.
1: Yeah. And I feel for George, but at the same time...
0: Uh, yeah. George, get over it. It's an adaptation. And we had to make this during
1: the first season, alright, when our budget was much smaller and we had to be consistent.
0: (laughs) You should have seen the original concept with foam swords. We were using
1: IKEA rugs and they were amazing and we are gonna take what we're gonna get. We are claymationing
0: the Iron Throne, okay? <laughs> That'd
1: be actually kind of funny,
0: like Wallace oh and Gromit. Uh, yeah,
1: but yeah, yeah. As you were saying, I think it is. I don't know that it's an insult. Not I, a dig. I think it's I, yeah. I don't think it's a dig. I think it's one of those like f- references. Like this is not the Roin, you know, yeah,
0: like absolutely. like the nodding. It's a nod. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> uh, John. Instead of flirting back with Danny and smiling and being a part of this like little conversation she's having about her brother, uh, John calls her out for like burninating the land, and Danny is justifying herself to John about King's Landing, about Tyrion's arrest, and she kind of starts to tell him desperately like "Be with me and rule with me," you know, like you were a bastard when you were young and you had nothing, and I was a girl that couldn't count past twenty when I was a little girl, and now look at us, like we could. We could rule, and uh, she has this desperation in her voice, just like Viserys did mm. before he dies, uh, before he is crowned, so to speak. Very similar, just like the the light that goes in his eyes, and how like that's all I've ever want. I ever wanted was a crown. That's it. That's all I ever wanted, and how pathetic and sad Danny feels about it. All she ever uh, wanted John- is someone
1: by her side.
0: Yeah. Well, she had it for a minute there. Fuck. Until, you know, God damn it, Chloe. <laughs> John asks her to forgive people. He says, "Please, Danny." John calling her Danny is a little more intimate. Uh, That came up in season seven that he is the first person to call her Danny, and you know, forever since the series was alive. Very familial, very intimate, very sad. Yeah, John like begs her like, forgive people. Make them see, you know, how it is that how you are as a ruler, that you're a good ruler. We can change it, Danny. You know, it was very like, Anakin, I loved you. Uh, (laughs) Danny tells him, you know, we can't hide behind small mercies. The world we need won't be built by men loyal to the world we have. And John says the world we need is a world of mercy. It has to be which is of course what it's about
2: mm-hmm. and
0: now, and it reminds me of you know when your enemy comes to you and bends the knee you pick them up off the ground mm-hmm. you bring them back up so then there's these lines back and forth where john is searching for any sign that he should not do what he's about to do uh, and he says the thing about mercy and danny says it's not easy to see something that's never been before a good world and john's like how do you know it's going to be so good and Danny says, Because I know what's good, and so do you. You've always known. And John says, What about everyone else? All the other people who think they know what's good. And Daenerys says, They don't get to choose. And I think that's when John obviously makes his choice mm-hmm. right then and there, because in his head, he's thinking, What about my sisters? What about Tyrion? What about all these people that also may have ideas about what is good and what is righteous in the world mm-hmm. and Daenerys shoots it down.
1: Yeah, I mean, choice is such a fundamental thing. John gets to choose whether it's hard, ho- even if it's hard. People should get it. And, it, like, I don't know, you've all watched this episode, so I'm gonna just jump around as I talk about, like, this overarching conversation that I see in the episode and series. Like, we've, uh, there's this ongoing thing that's been running throughout the series, especially with Bran and Danny's storylines, and obviously it comes to the forefront when bran's a crown king um and this conversation i think is about power and godhood obviously both of them have some sort of like magical power where they've been lacking this socio-political power within their societies because bran it comes to him like he wanted to be a knight but that's torn away because of his when he becomes disabled and then for danny part of it comes from her gender and for both of them, there's a, there's a bit of it in terms of their station of birth, like where they fall in line of things, as well as, you know, being an orphan and like on the run. And, and then that happens to Bran too after a while. He's also an orphan on the run. You know, things happen. But each of them are associated with godhood in a way. I think for Bran, it's a lot more straightforward as a three-eyed crow, raven, large black bird thing. And the association with the Old Gods and the Weirwoods, and I think the Targaryens are a little more complex. Like, we've pointed to this passage before in Storm danny 10 that discusses it a bit like up here in her garden danny sometimes felt like a god living atop the highest mountain in the world do all gods feel so lonely some must surely Miss had told her of the lord of harmony worshiped by the peaceful people of noth he was the only true god her little scribe said the god because you know she's like 10 in the books the god who always was and always would be who made the moon and stars and earth and all the creatures that dwelt upon them poor lord of harmony danny pitied him it must be terrible to be alone all the time attended by hordes of butterfly women you could make or unmake at a word and for Danny that word is Dracarys right? Mm-hmm. And then you have, like, all of these other characters discussing, you know, how the Targaryens saw themselves in Westeros. Like, the dragon kings had been brother to sister, but they were blood of old Valyria, where such practices had been common. And like their dragons, the Targaryens answered to neither gods nor men. So they see themselves above gods and above the law, as Catelyn mm-hmm. thinks. And then Jaime's all like, yeah, seriously, and I are just going to marry each other. We could marry Tommen to Marcella once we've sent Sansa Stark back to her mother. That would show the realm. That That's about Tommen, right? I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, that would show the realm that the Lannisters are above their laws, like gods and Targaryens. He's equating mm-hmm. them there, and I think that this idea of godhood—the way Bran and Danny's godhood, or the ideas around it—you know—they're not literally gods, but how the narrative is positioning them, especially with religion being a big deal and Song of Ice and Fire, like they operate against each other because Bran's power allows him to see through the eyes of others. Whereas like being atop a dragon alone above the world is isolating, and then John asks Daenerys mm-hmm. repeatedly, like, "Have you been down there and seen the burning children?" But she's too far above; she can't see them. Coming back to that issue of choice that Daenerys says, like, and saying that. She knows what's good, Danny is setting herself up as that voice of morality, and again, of judgment, of godhood, and she's going to decide what is best for everyone. And in removing that choice, she's not freeing anyone, it becomes this paradox. And then within that narrow vision of what constitutes godhood is that idea of destiny, because I think destiny in and of itself is kind of that lack of choice and freedom as well. You can't choose like what path you're on, you've changed yourself to it, as Stannis did. And this is very opposite of the way Bran sees the world. Literally? Figuratively? I don't know. Theoretically, he knows the future. Yet each time someone does something wrong, like John later in this episode apologizes for not being there when Bran needed him, Bran shows him mercy. He's like, you were where you're supposed to be. And we've discussed mercy and justice many times in our other episodes because it's such a running theme throughout the Stark storylines. Talk about it in Ned's chapters, Sansa's chapters. I mean, fuck, there's like the Mercy chapter of Arya's. But in me especially talk about it in Theon's chapters as it relates to Bran.
0: You even see it in John's chapters regarding Igor. Oh!
1: Yes! Exactly, exactly. And like, there's that tension, right, of justice and mercy central to the idea of like the Christian God in Old and New Testament, Old versus New Testament. And George talks about his Catholic upbringing. And oh, yes,
0: absolutely. The Seven are very, very influenced by that.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, religion's a big thing here, and, like, that's the paradox of freedom, because Bran knows what's going to happen, more or less, right? Like, in a way, maybe the future is set, maybe it's not, but he lets people choose. He doesn't tell them what they have to do. He just kind of accepts what they do, and I think... I. Part of me wonders if that's from his experiences with Hodor that has shown him the limits and consequences of power to those he loves. He committed this great Mm -hmm. sin and has gotten something of like mercy, people dying for him, whereas Daenerys was shaped by a cruel world ruled by power, and she she wasn't shown mercy. She had to carve this idea of justice out in that world. So this is that conversation that I see in terms of rulers. Thank Mm -hmm. you for letting me monologue.
0: Oh, absolutely. It was a beautiful monologue. Uh, Daenerys has never known Mercy because no one's ever shown it to her, and she has used that and hardened herself, and especially when you look at the women who have dealt with sexual abuse, assault in this story, and the women who have been manipulated and used as pawns. uh, Hmm. It hardens you. It does harden you. You can't always stay gracious and sweet and kind when bad things happen to you, and you can't keep trusting, and Daenerys never was allotted that trust as a child, ever.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even that echoes with, especially, like, Buck Cersei becoming hardened.
0: So, of course, we get the third treason. Yes. Once for love. Uh, Daenerys asks Jon to build a new world with her. And he, he finally tells her, you're my queen, now and always. And the look in her eyes flashes, and she's happy, she smiles, and she kisses him. And as he pulls away, he stabbed her. (sighs) Really emotive acting. It It is. It was really emotional. Um, I I cried a little bit even, and I didn't expect myself to cry. It was very sad. It was. It was. Yeah.
1: It's different from the way The Night King was filmed.
0: Yeah, absolutely different. Very much so different. Um, I do think it's an interesting, like, recurring theme this season of that stabbing. Uh mm-hmm. her wig looked really silver in that lighting and that mm-hmm. blue cool lighting in the throne room so that was kind of cool. I thought that was a nice thing. She's a silver uh, queen. uh you could see yeah, Silver Queen, you could see the struggle on John's face on Kit Harrington's face during this. You could really see him pulling it off on his face and I think that was great.
1: Yeah. I Did you you read right that like Kit Harrington just started crying when he got to that part in the script?
0: Yeah, I read that after, uh, and she had already known, and typical typical best male friend, you know, that he's just like, Oh, I haven't read it yet. I wanted to read it live with you. Dumbass. Aww. <laughs> yeah, cute, cute. But then, like, he's like, He hadn't read it, and he just started crying in the script reading. Uh, it's very sad. Uh, she was like, Yeah, punching you in the arm, asshole. Of course, that's why I'm upset. And uh, it's a bummer. But I do really love this next part of the scene where Drogon uh, comes down, he smells the blood on Daenerys. You can mm-hmm. see him sniff her, and he kind of does the Lion King thing, where he bucks her with his head a little bit, you know, like, get up! Get up! And, uh, you know, because I don't need a heart after this scene at all. And Drogon burns down the Iron Throne, melts it down after he realizes that Daenerys has died. So, symbolically, because of, the- because of that throne, she has died, obviously. And it hit me really hard. John mm-hmm. actually stands in the flame. Did you notice that? He yes. He does not move. He stands in front of Drogon. He thinks Drogon is going to roast him. And he doesn't move from that path until he realizes Drogon's burning the throne. He was ready to accept that as his death. That mm. To accept that, like, this is what I've done. I have killed my my only connection to that family. And I have, you know, killed my lover. And if I die, I die. At least I did something good for the realm uh it was sad obviously if i put it into the better better in the book terms which is how i cope with this show i compartmentalize it uh, i do i do think it was very sad and it was well done the throne melting was nice and it was good it was a slab of melted metal with everything on fire all around as the snow falls and the music was swelling really good there's blood underneath danny and drogon picks her up in his little uh little feats and he carts her off very much so like Arya Targaryen in Fire and Blood in my opinion uh, hopefully to lay her to rest in Old Valyria
1: yeah that was it was a sad scene and like the fact that it's all framed right of course against the Iron Throne like you said ends with that gone yeah as someone I forgot who um, had pointed out you know the thing that made the Iron Throne the only thing I could destroy it was what made it that dragon fire. Probably Joe Magician. Yes. I think he was likening it to Lord of the Rings and mm-hmm. the Fires of Mordor.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, we've been talking about how it's just really full circle in our household. That's mm-hmm. been a, a conversation topic. There's just so many parallels that have brought us back to the beginning and closed us out this season. And that is one of them.
1: Mm-hmm. I think Drogon also taking her away. This is just like a weird idea that i have it's another one of those like godlike things right you don't have the body and it's Mm -hmm. just spirited away by i don't know magical creature
0: it's very fantasy yeah uh very tragedy and very fantasy it it was really sad really nice and uh not nice obviously but it was just sad it was a sad beautiful poetically sad scene it was a bummer
1: yeah and I agree, you know, like that, of course, I think there will be more of a conversation around it and maybe condemning it a little more and and playing up the ambiguity of this in the books. Right. Because it is it is still, as people pointed out, like intimate partner violence and Tyrion does it in the books without Shay coming for him first. Right. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it might be a running thing if. Valencar goes differently in the books. So I don't know. The context will be different and and
0: darker for John. You and I have discussed this a little bit offline. Mm -hmm. uh, And just that I'm curious if the Valencar didn't happen in the show fully to that extent. If it will, I think it will happen in the books. And I wonder if they didn't want to do the whole woman violence thing two episodes in a row. Which
1: I understand and I don't begrudge them. That choice. I don't actually begrudge them that, I don't. if that's what it was. Yeah, and and I, it's part of why I wonder if that's the way that they went with Peter Dinklage's character with Tyrion and, mm-hmm. um, you know, not wanting to keep malign people like with dwarfism. And I understand that maybe a more complex choice could have been leaning into that character and that complexity. But also, I understand same as if that's what they did with the Valonqar, why they chose not to do that, especially yeah. this.
0: I think that would be a good reason. I would definitely respect that yeah. because obviously they don't often say, hey, let's tone down the violence against women. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a it's not a usual phrase I've heard them say in this show. <laughs>
1: yeah. We'll find out when the eleventh book comes out.
0: <laughs> oh my God. So a uh. few weeks later, it's several weeks, John gets arrested, obviously, for killing Daenerys uh tyrian is paraded in front of the good enough council of 305 ac not a great council just good enough <laughs> good
1: enough it's not 101 people you know it's, a- yeah. it's enough people
0: yeah and so they are
1: in the dragon pit and we have this unnamed prince of dorne uh someone made a joke all the princes of dorne just i don't know share the same outfit like all the targaryens share the same wig
0: yeah, and also, like, so he would be from a completely different house as well. I just want to put that out there, because there's no Martels left. Yeah, apparently. I'm not really sure, like,
1: who he is. Maybe we don't care. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. And by we, but, I mean yeah. the story, whatever. They, they you know, whatevs. Whatever, it doesn't matter. We have this guy.
0: Yeah, we did get Edmir Tully. I, was, I didn't know if he was coming back. I, I heard rumors, mm-hmm. so... That was very surprising and fun. Uh, he's looking real cute, actually. He's got a little gray in his hair right now.
1: Yes, exactly. And
0: I was like, wow, Zaddy Tully. <laughs> uh... Uh, Sansa's there. Sam is there. Gendry is there. There's a handful of randos scattered throughout that don't have real names. Brienne, Davos, Yara, Brawn of the Bullshit, <laughs> Big Bronze Yon Royce, and sweet, sweet, sweet Robin. What a glow
1: up. I told you. <laughs> i'm happy for that actor though to be honest i yeah, he,
0: he's a handsome boy
1: good for him he went through puberty i was just like when he came back what in season four in like a bit in five i was like oh that sucks like it's been three or four years and you still like look exactly the same as when like you were eight but now he's not <laughs> i'm happy for him
0: yeah. yeah he definitely had a glow up i love that um I was surprised. I was surprised to see him uh, all glowed up in there. I loved his outfit, too, his little, like, falcony outfit. I want to call out uh,
1: does this mean, then, that, that in the endgame in the books, because you are a strong proponent yes.
0: of Sweet Robin surviving Yes. Harry the Heir? I think Sweet Robin will survive Harry the Heir. Um, I think that maybe this is canonical. We'll find mm-hmm. out eventually, I'm sure. I think he will survive it, and I, I think this is actually a. Believe it or not, this is a nice, round way to close Sweet Robin's arc. It didn't happen yeah. in the show. However, in the books, he's, you know, being poisoned by sweet sleep. And who knew that a, a small, weak, sickly little boy could survive?
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, we've seen Sansa being very close to the Royces. And I think you also suggested, right, that she she maybe works with the Royces. And like that Sweet Robin survives and all of these things kind of point to what you were discussing. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, are you trying to say something, Aliyah? I think I'm trying are to you? say, you
1: guys, Chloe fucking called it.
0: <laughs> I just, uh, I think it's a little much to have Sweet Robin die. I just think it's too much. I think it's, uh, A, It's so much blood on Sansa's hands, mm. I think it's going to be a close call. I mm. think Sweet Robin's going to almost die, and I think it's going to be used as evidence against Littlefinger when... Yeah. Sansa takes him down. I mean that right there is huge. He's poisoning Sweet Robin in the books, and Sansa knows. Yes, she's slightly complicit, but also he's telling her to do it and what's she gonna do?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting that he's here. Um I was also afraid that they forgot him, same as Edmir Tully, but and in, in the... They didn't. They didn't.
0: So it's great. I was surprised. I'm yeah. Glad. I love Sansa in this scene, is so great. Uh she asks she straight up asks, She's like, "Why why is Worm not bringing my brother out?" My Where brother cousin. F- no. Brusen. My brother cousin. My, brusen, C- my cus- cousin. <laughs> my cousin. My cousin. <laughs> why why is he not bringing John out? Where is John? And he's like, "You don't get to make demands. He killed the queen. He's locked up." And she's like, "Okay, um I have thousands of men outside. I have thousands of army men outside. Like, you want to scrap? Grey Worm because they're gonna want to know where their their king is.
1: Yeah, and I love it. Like, this is a criticism that I have, and I think everyone has. Like, there's just so much in this last episode, and I wanted another episode. Right? I want us to deal with the aftermath, really, of Daenerys' death. Like, we she deserves that space. I think we deserve what that meant for a lot of these people, and. For the story, and I also think that I wanted to see that fallout of what do we do with John, right? Like maybe another mm-hmm. th- 30 to 40 minutes, not necessarily in this episode, but in like an episode, right? That should have been a thing, yeah. especially because Game of Thrones was built so much on that politicking. But I mean, you know, I want to see Sansa and Arya being like, we gotta go down there, say, paralleling Rob when yeah. they learn about Ned being imprisoned, But she's doing what Rob and Catelyn came down to do, right? When Ned got in prison, she's here. They're saving their imprisoned
0: Stark. She's doing also what, you know, she's doing what Rickard did when Brandon was imprisoned by the Mad King. Mm. Uh, when he came down demanding Rhaegar's head for Lyanna. So it's just very Stark-like. I really like it. Yes. And, I mean, and that's not where it stops. Uh, Yara speaks up and she's like fuck that guy he killed our queen I'm devoted to our queen Daenerys like he killed our queen so who cares what happens to him no Stark rights and Arya's like Stark rights and Arya's like keep talking about my brother like and see what happens bitch it was it was good and Davos of course stands up he's like kids kids I need you to stop fighting he tries to diplomatically like placate every single person there he offers the reach to the Unsullied to give them a place and life and a world and they're like mmm no, we don't want that. We want justice. Also, Braun didn't justice. say anything. <laughs> right. Like, Braun is right there and doesn't say a single thing. Yeah. Good. He shouldn't. Yep. Yeah. Who are you even? I don't know. It uh, looks like a ghost of a person because he died in season seven and the spoils of war. Uh, <laughs> Tyrion uh, kind of speaks up. He's like, You don't get to decide what happens with Jon. That's for a king or a queen to decide. And then he's like, well, we don't have a king or queen anymore because Jon killed them. And Tyrion's like, well, maybe you guys should choose a new one.
1: Right. It's fascinating that also Jon's parentage doesn't come out here, but I guess I understand because he killed the previous queen. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <sighs> whatever. Also,
0: why is Grey Worm in charge still? He, I get it. He, he but was like... the
1: only named official from, I think, Daenerys' council, right? And the other ones have been deposed, such as Jon and Tyrion, and therefore he's the only other he's governing the last OG. Yeah, exactly. The only other governing person,
0: so. But I just mean, why are they obeying him? Because he has the unsullied and the Dothraki, I guess. Yeah, I just would imagine, like, You have several little regions here that have big armies. I don't know. Also respect. And they're super trained, I guess. And respect. Yeah, that's true. They helped
1: fight for the
0: rest of the realm. That's right. That is what Davos says, too, so I'll give it that. But I am sitting there like, y'all just gonna listen to him? Yeah. Go get John. Go get him.
1: Yeah. Um... I don't know. I guess maybe they didn't bring John out because they didn't want to have the discussion about Aegon Targaryen. Whatever. Uh... Yeah,
0: the answer.
1: Admir. Oh, there. Oh, yes. Edmure. It's exciting for me still.
0: It was very exciting. And what's really exciting, uh, you and I were talking about, is imagining, you know, he actually got to interact with Sansa and Arya and Bran with his kin. Yeah. Uh, they got to be with family. These kids who have not gotten to have family in so long. And Edmir, who was languishing in a, uh, a dungeon in River Run for so fucking long, probably till like a week ago, you know, he uh he got to meet his kin and hang out with his kin on screen. Yeah, and he, all of them. He stands up, he's like, I would be a great king. And Sansa's like, uncle, please sit down. What are you doing?
1: Yeah. Sit down. I do wish, okay, I, I was telling you this, how I wish there was a scene of like Edmure reminiscing with the Stark kids about Catelyn.
0: <sighs> yeah.
1: Going up to Sansa and in a non-creepy way. Being like, you look just like her, and then they talk about her. And also, I mean, like, his other sister's child is there, too, right? Yeah. Like, it's a family yeah, reunion. Robert. This is, this. he's like, apparently actually Robin in the show, which is Yeah, he is Robin
0: in the show because they didn't want people to be confused. Yeah.
1: I learned recently, though, you know, the way, like, Harry is short for the name Henry or something in, in like, old English nicknames, right? Mm-hmm. That Robin is actually, in fact, a nickname for Robert, so... That sounds from right. From back then.
0: Well, sweet Robin.
1: Exactly. So there should have been a family reunion, but whatever. Also, f- if Edmure is still here and is still Lord of the Riverlands, is he still married to Rosalind Frey? Did Walder Frey get what he wanted in the end? I think
0: so, but we don't have that answer. Yep. Question that I have. Yep. Just another question. Lots of questions. Yep sam is like okay well i have a weird idea what if we introduce democracy and literally these fucking asshole high lords are like what (laughs) that's so stupid and i'm like oh yes good then just suck each other's dicks for the next century i guess
1: i understand why sam proposes it because in the night's watch that's what they had and i was kind of mad because like you said like the high lords just like slap it down there should have been there there was fruit for discussion there, and I think that there would have been one, but we didn't want to, like, cover it. And by we, I mean the producers and, and the writers, because, yeah. like, here's whose reactions we explicitly did not get, and I don't think it's an oversight. I think it's intentional so that we don't have that conversation, but we didn't get Davos's reaction, and we didn't get Gendry's reaction.
0: Uh Oh, you know, Gendry, who's now officially, like, in line for that throne.
1: Yeah, Gendry, Lord of Storm's End, in line for the Throne, and Davos- Legitimized
0: Bastard.
1: Yeah, I, I just- both of them. Both of them. We should have gotten their reactions to that.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Well, the Lords do vote. They vote for Bran. Uh, that's a left field on the show. Book it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Show? Okay. But remember when they removed him for a season- yeah Also like remember when he didn't he just was there?
1: Yeah, I like you said, book it makes sense. I think there's a lot of I would point to essays that Bookshelf Stud has written on mm-hmm. the connections between like the Arthurian Fisher King and Bran's storyline, and because of that legend, mm-hmm. that's Agreed. why that's why Bran makes sense to me as a final decision for King.
0: There's a lot of reasons for yeah. sure. I do love as they're deciding and, you know, each lord is saying I Sansa turns to him and I love this. I Again, they have been writing the fuck out of her. Uh, she turns to him and says, I love you, little brother, and I always will. And you'll be a good king. But tens of thousands of Northmen fell during the Great War, defending all of Westeros and those who survived have seen too much and fought too hard to ever bend their knee again. The North will remain an independent kingdom as it was for thousands of years. Yes, yes, popping bottles, northern independence, I mean they earned yes. it, they fucking like you said, like she said, defended the rest of the realm god i I was so excited when that was said. And I thought that was that. You know, like, I was like, Northern Independence, hell fucking yeah. I, I didn't know it was going to happen. I'm so happy. Like, that was huge. But in my heart, I did. I mean, that's what the story's about. Of course the North is going to be independent. A lot of people are, like, complaining. And I see where it's kind of weird because, you know, Bran is on the throne. So what does it fucking matter? But uh, the North, like, it was always about Northern Independence for them. For the past eight years on the show, it's yeah. been about Northern Independence after Ned's head came off uh it's not surprising to me whatsoever. Yeah, and I knew it was going to happen. It's what came later. I didn't know it was going to happen, and that was.
1: Whew. I mean, I didn't yeah. know it was going to happen, but when it happened, I was like, "Yeah, I've been harping
0: about this for weeks." So yeah. Yep. Yep. Of it makes course. Sense. We, I, I don't. Well, you saw obviously uh, Hannah from Game of Owns and I were together, and we prayed to my Sansa Stark votive candle. Yeah. And we did a cute little adorable photo of us praying with it. But you didn't and, know. Uh, before I had no clue, no. So I willed this episode to happen. You did.
1: You prayed to the gods of television, like in American gods, gods, and oh, the new, the very new, super super very fucking new, new gods.
0: <laughs> Brand the unlikely.
1: Yeah, I don't get it, <laughs> but in the show especially, but I I can see the path that gets there. Maybe it's growing on
0: me. Also, like uh, the second watch, yeah, uh, it's growing on me. They gave Brian a couple lines, so now I'm like, okay. It didn't like grow on me. I I
1: kind of just accepted it the moment that it came out, and I was just like, yes, Fisher King, and I was like, that's it. That's all I need to tell myself, and I accepted it. And also, I was just like, this just seems like one of those things that's too big for George to have not told it to them. Oh, I think this is the
0: third twist.
1: Oh, you think this is the third twist? Interesting.
0: Well, it could be John kills Danny or Brand's the king, but I feel like this is a bigger twist than John kills Danny in my book. I think by the time we get there in huh. the books, we'll know what's going to happen.
1: I think that's interesting,
0: especially with everything you and I have already called out tonight, like the John and Egret stuff and his failure to kill her originally. I mean, it, it's just full circle. It all all of John's arc makes a lot of sense from this episode, like
1: yeah, tons
0: of sense. I have no issues with it for the most part. I mean, besides the usual, we know the usual, we will not go into it, but I don't have big issues with the big picture. Uh, I think Bran is definitely kind of a, a left field pick though. And I, I'm sure it'll be a little easier to grasp in the books. And there's a ton about him. Like there's a ton yeah. that works. So
1: there is a ton that works. And it, it of course connects back And Adam Feldman was talking about this, connects back to Bran's first chapter where he's being taught, Justice, mm-hmm. mercy, looking someone in the eye, being willing to swing that sword. And, and he ha- has to, like, rule Winterfell at, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. seven years old. Right? So. I yeah, see... absolutely. You get those chapters in A Clash
0: of Kings as well. You get the harvest feast. I mean, you get him as the Lord of Winterfell, the Prince of Winterfell for a while. Yeah. Uh, Branis definitely already has the seeds sown for it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know if, like, there's a part of it that because he's so young, maybe this wouldn't have happened if there was a time skip buddy, because he's so young, if initially some lords actually try to put him forth because they think he can be a pawn, but
0: Well, that's what they're doing with Rickon in the book. Exactly.
1: That's why I'm like, do they move on from Rickon? And they're like, we have another one right here, I guess. That's fine. I don't know. But, and
0: that's the thing is, they've already tried... Like I mean, Littlefinger tried that. Remember in yeah. Season 7, Littlefinger tried to play the game with both Arya and Bran to see what kind of leeway and move and give he could have, uh, and Bran was not really you know, dupable, and obviously he knows everything or whatever, but yeah. uh, he wasn't easily duped when it came to that. Yeah. Is it okay to have a king who knows everything? See, so that's something else. A lot of people are saying... That's kind of a problem uh, after coming from Daenerys, right? I mean, now we're in a police state. <laughs> but at the same time, like you said, Brian allows people to make their own choices. Yeah. He's not minority reporting this. No, and he's not like spying on you in the shower or something.
1: Yeah, only when you're getting married.
0: Yeah, only. <laughs> only.
1: Is All of this kind of feels like something George is going towards. There's this other idea that I have like in terms of this governing structure like it it's a little iffy it doesn't have the strongest of legs but wonders if this is kind of where the books are going especially in terms of like what Rhaegar's vision for the realm was and what it seems like the lords who showed up to that uh tourney at Harrenhal the lords who might have been part of southern ambitions wanted in terms of having more agency and power in the realm and like i think there's definitely still hesitation on there being like a king maybe but like having like there's hesitation on the part of the the P- the nobles voting right on there being a king but i think Having something like a council that determines who the king becomes that check on power that maybe mm-hmm. the southern ambitions lords wanted, kind of like a Magna Carta that prevents like a king from being too far above the law, like they made the king yeah. and they can unmake him if they want, and I think... It's intentionally an imperfect solution because this kind of system is of course going to continue to lead to politicking and more Mm -hmm. games of thronesy things that like created those power struggles but
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely the politics have been huge this this last episode Uh, all of a sudden they really brought it back to that forefront for us so it, and I think they did it well, for the most part. The brand stuff, as we've said, a little left field for some people. I, I It works, but I think they did do it well. Here's a hot take that I've been just dying to tell you about, Eliana. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. This is uh, my spiciest my spiciest take, so get a glass of milk, just in case. Have it ready. All right.
1: Uh, so, a breast
0: milk? So that I, too, no. can glow up? Oh, my God. It does wonders for your skin. Uh. So, does this mean that Bran is Aegon, fifth of his name, the Unlikely, Jon is Aemon Targaryen, and then, if you even want to go this far, Jojen was the ghost of Highheart Hmm. in the story, Hodor was Bran's Dunk, Hmm. and Dunk's descendant,
2: Uh
0: as George has told us, uh, there are two, at least two people that are descended from Duncan. The story, and but yeah. I, I mean, my original bets were always on Brienne, Sandor, and Hodor.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, not
0: Gregor, I think. Well, and Gregor, I guess. Yeah, fuck him. He's not a real person, <laughs> literally. Um, but those were my three bets, you know. right? Yeah. And that makes sense now that you're saying four. Yeah, I guess Gregor too. And I feel like that might have come true. That might have come true. Also, here's another spicy take. Does this really mean that old Nan was Tansel, the tall? I think that would
1: be interesting. She made it all the way up north.
0: And Tansel's a puppeteer who tells stories.
1: Oh, that's right. That would be why she knows so many stories. And I mean, if she- And
0: Tansel, she- too tall, was telling these stories the whole time.
1: I like it. If she's Tansel, <laughs> too tall, and Dunk. Um, like, that explains why the, the tall Jade's so strong yeah, in Hodor. Yeah, exactly. In Hodor.
0: Yeah, Uh, And I do want to harken back to something I pointed out a couple weeks ago. I know there was a complaint or two about this comment I made. I really wasn't trying to criticize the show. I was trying to explore a comment that was made that is fake history made up for the show that I thought was probably going to be important in the endgame. And lo and behold, I was right. So nothing new. Uh, Darren Targaryen, the comment that Tyrion made to Bran about Darren Targaryen, he said Darren Targaryen had a crippled nephew. Well, of course, Darren Targaryen has a lot uh, similar with John, you know, the Young Dragon, Mm -hmm. in a couple ways. Yeah. But Darren Targaryen's crippled nephew was really there for setup about Bran taking the throne. Yeah. And speaking of crippled nephew, if it was real history and not fake history, uh, would Bloodraven be that nephew, almost that crippled nephew? He does end up on a tree
1: yeah also a a throne a rearboard desk throne of its own Uh um, yeah. yeah uh yeah it's funny i mean you bring up blood raven and i was actually talking with uh, another song of Ice and fire moderator jen snow about all this and you know there's that again hesitation where people are like so we made someone who's basically kind of like blood raven king and as you're yeah. saying like that police state thing cuz bloodraven definitely a uh, on the shadier side with some of what he was doing with his powers and how he exerted the powers of the law right yeah. and i think there is though a strong running idea that like what if people distrusted bloodraven not necessarily for his sorcery but just because he looked different like it's strongly mm. said that he's albino and maybe he turned to sorcery and like he was interested in those things I don't think I think he was just naturally interested in those things because people have hobbies like that. But right. a lot of the distress against him, like there there are a lot of uh bad narratives running around about Blood Raven. And I mean some of them are justified, of course. Some of them right. maybe, maybe not, but had to do with the way he looked. And I think that this is a big running thing within a song of Ice and Fire about how like people who aren't able bodied or if they're outside the power system, if they're like cripples, bastards, and broken things, or even women, people who just don't have that socio political or even economic power. They're seen with suspicion. And like I don't yeah. know exactly how we Get there, but I feel like the fact that people are willing to make Bran the king, that they're willing to take Tyrion as hand, right? That they don't mistrust the boy in the wheelchair, they don't mistrust the guy with dwarfism, is meant to be seen as a sort of improvement, a a coming towards improvement, some sort of progression. Yeah, progression within Westeros's attitudes and within the conscience of the people, and I. I I don't know if this is also like an exploration of like the other side of Richard the Third's story, according to like George R. R. Martin because he's very into the idea like he's he's very fascinated by the way that Richard the Third's legacy he feels has been um shrouded in a lot of uh stories and mischaracterized right so what does it look yeah. like when we accept people who are different
0: absolutely i I do agree that it's really opening that door. For people in Westerns to feel better about that sort of thing and treat people honestly more kindly. Uh, Obviously, brown people aren't really welcome right now. Thanks, Danny. Yeah. I (laughs) mean, like, show Danny. I don't
1: think it's like in total. I just think it's an idea that is maybe being explored, and I don't know that it's like for sure. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. I I do love there's two lines in the book to a couple passages that really just make me smile and do make me think, you know, like Bran's a good boy. He's not like some rando. He's mm-hmm. a good boy. And there's that moment at the harvest feast where he sends sweets to Hodor and old Nan, as well as sending food to other people that are his friends. And he just says, for no reason, but he loved them. Yeah. What a good boy. I love and of that. course, there's that little passage he eats with the Littles in a storm of swords. Uh, and when they wake up the next day, the Little had left, but he left sausage for them and some oat cakes folded up in a cloth and uh, some blackberries and pine nuts in the cakes. And Bran really liked them. And he thinks one day there would be Starks in Winterfell again, he told himself, and then he'd send for the Littles and pay them back a hundredfold for every nut and berry.
1: I think that... Bran and this, you know, you brought up that he loved them. It's similar, right, to what's going on in Santa's storyline in terms of mm-hmm. love, ruling with love versus with fear. And but through Bran, we're seeing, you know, Catelyn kept saying throughout her chapters that Bran was such a loving boy, a lovable boy. And here we see that ruler showing love towards his people.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's very pleasant
0: it is it it, especially because the way that they the stuff they had given uh Bran as far as you know like acting wise what they gave isaac to do Mm -hmm. it was softer material and it was kinder and he even smiles and jokes a little bit and it's like you could feel the rain like not the last handful of kings and queens has not been you know someone you could joke with i mean robert sometimes but you'd have to get drunk too (laughs) It, it just felt good uh Fair. Very just and fair is how it felt. Yeah. Tyrion is made Hand of the King for his crimes. Uh, you know. <laughs> yep. Uh While Bran sends Jon to the Night's Watch for his crimes. Yeah. Um, I'm sure this is endgame somehow.
1: Oh, not yeah. sure how the, of this path, but...
0: Yeah, I don't know exactly how that path's going to work for Tyrion. I think Jon's is pretty cut and dry and clear. Yeah. Uh, I do wish he had turned himself in about it, you know? Like, you'd seen him go to Bran and say, like, I've done this thing. Or, or not Bran. To anyone, to the guards, and said, like, here I am. I wish we could have seen that and seen him choose exile. I think that might have been a little more powerful, but it's still... Pretty powerful, uh, especially because Tyrion breaks the news to him, and Tyrion comes to chat with him, and he has this line, though, and he's like, The realm will always have need for a place for cripples, bastards, and broken things, you know, the (laughs) usual. But why not build a realm that accepts those people instead of just, like, having one place for those types of people?
1: Yeah, especially because it's a penal colony. Like, people shouldn't be punished for being different.
0: Yeah, that's like saying like, you know, all you left-handers, we're going to round you up and put you in this place and yeah. that's where you live now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it.
1: I don't think it works like that. That's a Sensitivity. thing that I don't think happens check. in the books not quite like that.
0: Um Yeah, I think uh I think if anything I think it'll be John choosing it.
1: I'm okay with John not choosing it and it being assigned to him, because he chooses the Night's Watch at the beginning, and now he has to learn what it is to have not chosen it, but at the same time, Mm. this is a consequence again, right? He made his choice, and thus he doesn't get to choose again. This is the price of the choice that he made.
0: The cost, yes. Yes.
1: So I'm I'm fine with it if he doesn't choose it. And I mean, this is going to run a little counter to You know the discussion we have uh, in the upcoming John chapter, but in our defense, we recorded that before this episode came out. (laughs) I have no regrets about that discussion, and I stand by the things that were said there, but I also stand by the things I'm saying right now.
0: (laughs) Good for you.
1: Yes. I'm a different
0: person. Character development, now that I've seen this episode. (laughs) Foreshadowing isn't character development, Eliana. Uh, Okay. So, the Starks have a departure scene. Uh first we see Grey Worm telling his captains that they're sailing for Noth to carry out the retirement plan and protect their people. I think that's nice. I hope that's kinda how it is in the books, even though obviously Misande and Grey Worm won't have a relationship. I hope they still go to Noth and uh protect it. That it was just nice. It was very nice.
1: Yeah. I don't know what they're gonna do. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they're just gonna hang out and make sure no one tries to capture Nath and put him in slavery. So it's nice. Yeah,
1: I guess Missandei will be fine because theoretically the people who grew up there are immune to the butterflies. But we'll see what happens with everyone else.
0: Yeah, we get Sansa apologizing to John, you know, about uh, leaking his secret to Tyrion, and John says, "No, the North is free because of you." But Sansa's sad. She says, "They lost their king, though," and John says, "They'll have Ned Stark's daughter." Hmm.
1: Do it for Ned's little girl.
0: And That's the thing, is, this is like the first acknowledgement that, you know, even the show is saying, she's Ned Stark's daughter.
1: Yeah, we also just have not brought up Catelyn at all this season, but whatever.
0: Jon invites Arya to visit him in the Night's Watch, but to everyone's surprise, because they did not know this, including Sansa, Arya says she can't, because she's not going home. She plans on sailing west of Westeros, where the maps end, to find more.
1: Yeah. I've definitely dropped things to my mother like this every now and then. She's just like, what? I'm like, oh, we haven't had this discussion yet. Mm. Oh my god. Anyway, uh, I like that, yeah, as you said, she says she's going to what's west of Westeros, and then her answer is like, no one knows. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) no one knows. Is that the case, Arya? Oh That's my god. It.
0: My favorite part of that is like the people that pointed out, Bran looks over at her like, what the fuck do you think I am?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe if there are no beerwood trees there. Who knows?
0: That's true. That's true. But I thought his CCTV just worked, however, now.
1: I honestly don't know how it works.
0: I don't think they know either. So <laughs>
1: I don't, yeah. Maybe Bran doesn't know either.
0: Mm. Yeah. It is very Alyssa Farman, very Nemaria of the Reuner. Uh, if you don't know those references, Nemaria was a witch queen who Arya named her uh, her doggo her dire wolf after but Nymeria took the Roiner her people to Dorn after Valyrians conquered her home and she reclaimed Dornish lands as her own she burnt her people's ships upon landing and they started a brand new life
1: oh just like and her wolf pack a-
0: yeah just like her wolf pack absolutely so very strong parallels and Alyssa Farman is a character introduced in Fire and Blood she was very good uh carnal friends with Rhaena Targaryen Alyssa travels west until she reached Essos and on the way she named three islands after Aegon Rhaenys and Visenya and she continued westward in her ship the Sun Chaser and she was never seen again yes and there's this quote from Fire and Blood I really love about Alyssa Farman that made me think of Arya here and just like what I see maybe if this is her future this is what I see it as Her dreams were full of sundering rivers and windswept plains and towering mountains with their shoulders in the clouds, of green islands verdant in the sun, of strange beasts no man had tamed and queer fruits no man had tasted, of golden cities shining underneath strange stars. Arya is just as much that dreamer that Sansa and Bran have been as kids. Uh, She may not act like she likes the songs or all the things that Sansa likes, but Arya very much so still buys into that fantasy that all these kids were brought up on.
1: And I mean, maybe it's also in the Stark legacy a little. There's that one King Brandon Stark, Brandon the Shipwright, who was ahead of House Stark and he's like, I'm gonna go across the Sunset Sea. No one ever saw him again. So, I don't know, it's kind of sad that people won't see see Arya again. I think that's really sad that she's leaving her family, but this is what her heart wants and... Yeah,
0: I mean, even in the books, she loves meeting new people True. and hearing about the world. I mean, her bravos chapters are just so expansive. She, yeah. you know, just gets to meet all these people from all over, and I-, I can just really see this being it.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree that it's it. It's this is a thing that feels bittersweet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. To me, there's a line as she says goodbye to John, where he says, "You have your needle," and she goes, "Right here." And then they hug, and they're crying, and he wipes the tears off her face, and...
1: Needle was Winterfell, so she'll always have home with her.
0: Yeah, it was was Jon Snow's smile.
1: Oh. (sighs) And then Jon kneels in front of Bran, and he apologizes to Bran for not being where he needed to be. And Bran says, "No, you're exactly where you needed to be.
0: Hmm. It's very reminiscent to the last goodbye that he had to give Bran, right, uh, Back in A Game of Thrones and John 2, you know, when Bran was comatose, he apologizes. I'm sorry I didn't come before. I was afraid. He could feel the tears rolling down his cheeks. John no longer cared. Don't die, Bran. Please. We're all waiting for you to wake up. Me and Rob and the girls, everyone. Then, of course, after he's done saying his goodbye and dealing with the awkward silence of Lady Stark in the background, John goes, I have to go now, Uncle Benjamin's waiting, I'm to go north to the wall, we have to leave today, before the snows come. He remembered how excited Bran had been at the prospect of the journey. It was more than he could bear, the thought of leaving him behind like this. John brushed away his tears, leaned over, and kissed his brother lightly on the lips. It's
1: John and Bran were really close, especially in- you see it in the first books, like, John's the one who's teaching Bran and talking him through- all of Ned's lessons so yeah I think it's you know Adam Feldman again like talks about that relationship and the choice that Bran makes to pardon John and it kind of I think gives us an answer to a question that we had asked in John's last A Game of Thrones chapter where he wonders what would happen if he deserted the Night's Watch like and he's like if Benjamin deserted and went to Ned, surely Ned would take him, right? Or he's like, what would he do? And he's like, surely Rob has to take me if I commit this great sin, right? And I think through Bran, we kind of see what Rob would do, what Ned would do, what that answer of this is love versus duty, I think. It was good. It was good. Uh, I wanted them to hug too, though. Yeah, I guess Bran might feel awkward about that now that mm-hmm. he's whatever he is, but I did want them to hug also. There were good hugs. These were really good hugs.
0: They hugged in my mind.
1: Yeah. <laughs> John's a good hugger.
0: Yeah, John's, John is a good hugger, and those hugs were all very emotional. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the cloak, Uh, and the Sansa and John hug was...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was sad. It was very sad. Just uh, him and Sophie have great chemistry for acting. It's always good from them. Yeah. More believable than Amelia and him
1: they did a great job of reconciling and showing that connection right through Sansa that starkness and Jon being in the family and that complete acceptance
0: yeah he was a part of their family and him going to the Night's Watch is walking away from this family that he's been killing himself to be a part of since he was born yeah sad death of duty death of love Uh, Brienne is lady commander of the Kingsguard she finishes Jamie's white book page. Mm-hmm. She doesn't lie. She doesn't dramatize. She finishes it. So these are the additions.
1: Jaime Lannister uh, took River Run from the Tully Rebels without loss of life. Lord the Unsullied into attacking Casterly Rock, sacrificing his childhood home and sacrifice to a greater strategy, outwitted the Targaryen forces to seize Highgarden, fought at the Battle of the Gold Road, bravely narrowly escaping death by a dragon fire pledged himself to the forces of men and rode north to join them at Winterfell alone, faced the army of the dead, and defended the castle against impossible odds until the defeat of the Night King, escaped imprisonment and rode south in an attempt to save the capital from destruction, died protecting his queen.
0: Died protecting his queen. Poor Brienne. Yeah. Having to write that probably sucked. But she kept it really cut and dry, black and white, and still... She... she he wasn't a man without honor the way that she wrote him. He still did deeds and life isn't, you know, just one one good thing and you're a good person. It's every single action has consequences and every single action has weight. You know, it's a case-by-case basis. I do think as cut and dry and good as it was, I would have liked to have her mention at the end that he knighted her. Yeah,
1: I think that that tends to be in those entries,
0: yeah. Yeah, uh, knighted Sir Brienne of Tarth, yeah, the first female Kingsguard Lord Commander.
1: Yeah, yeah. there was also I don't know some interesting stuff in the, in the White Book in terms of how the illustrations were. Uh, that was fun, but
0: oh yeah, it, it was great. You could see the Arthur Dane one. You can see pretty well the yeah. Barristan one. You could also see very well again. I'm excited because it's a full page view, so I just haven't had time yet. But I plan on you know digging deep to see what they wrote.
1: It was interesting because the previous ones were all just white swords but I guess once we get into the reign of Robert Baratheon Bairsten mm-hmm. Selmy's was the, the wheat right of House Selmy and then Jamies was the Lannister Lion.
0: Still letting them have that heritage.
1: Yeah. There's a, a you know as you were saying about that black and white entry there's I think a touch of irony there that has always followed Jamie around. Like he was known as the Kingslayer for many people which was A terrible name for the best act he ever did, maybe. Or one of his best acts. And when he finally kept his vows and died protecting his queen, it almost reads heroic because of the way that Brienne wrote it, like, in that objective manner. And in a way, it's kind of honorable for keeping that vow, but it's also not because it's Cersei. It's another one of those, like, ironies.
0: But it's also being framed this way because Daenerys is now the villain. I mean I'm it's yeah. not outright, but it is because it's like the Targaryen forces the saved his died protecting his queen. Uh I mean, as you know, Cersei came out almost sympathetic last episode, which was really fucked up. Yeah, she like
1: speaking of consequences we never dealt with like after the set blew up but whatever. I mean that yeah. was bad. That was really bad.
0: Well it, yeah. didn't she uh brush it off and say it was someone else that did it? I believe that's why it was like oh, yeah. some sort of throwaway line that like it nobody our enemies did it. did
1: it or something yeah yeah
0: yeah just like Roose Bolton poisoned by his enemies uh yeah yeah know we do get the next scene is Tyrion rearranging chairs <laughs> and it sounds silly but it's cute it's actually kind of funny yeah because like he was wa- really wanted it to be perfect for his first day on the new job mm-hmm. and you know last time he was hand of the king he had some issues so this time he wanted it to go perfectly and he's rearranging the chairs and they all walk in and they fuck his chairs up just completely.
1: Yeah, no, it's cute, it's fun, and then you get to see everyone being part of smart small council. I like Sam's robe. Just wanted to throw it I out do there. Too. What a
0: great outfit! Because we like outfits. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, of the Grand Maesters. You know of Tysell's outfit of Luin is who it really makes me think of, though.
1: Yeah. Oh. Lewin, sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I'm done. Lewin. Bran asks for word then on like. Ah, uh, by the way, we're missing some of these positions in the council, such as such as a master of whispers, master of what was it? Ships yeah. and mass
0: laws. Oh, master
1: of laws and master of war. I'm also kind of like Bran. Can't you be your own fucking master of whispers? Throwing it yeah, out there. Yeah, that was
0: silly. Very silly. Maybe he wants to like do it right. And that's why. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you gotta delegate in business.
1: Yeah, he's like, is there any word of Drogon, everyone? And then they're like, no! So he's just gonna work on locating it, on locating him and is gonna leave the rest of the council, I guess, to work on the rest.
0: Yeah, and oh, Podrick is also in the Kingsguard. He is wheeling Bran around. He's Bran's personal little Kingsguard guy. Well, he's been learning from one of the best. So, yes, from Sir My Lady.
1: Yes, Brienne tarth
0: i loved the the long <laughs> may you may he rain like yes. all around the council and like they obviously like would be oh long may he rain long may he rain love me and like literally just Tyrion as bran rolls out Tyrion's just like that will get better and bran just goes i'm sure it will so he yes. smiles it's really cute it's a cute smile
1: it was a cute like old man smile on wise old man adorable ending smile i liked it yeah.
0: So yeah, Sir Bron of the Bongwater is a fucking Lord Paramount.
1: Uh, and they gave him a whole job, which, uh, yeah. Uh, Tyrion charges everyone with different jobs. Bronze master of coin. He's going to work on feeding the realm. I don't think it's that weird, in my opinion, for someone who's lowborn to be made a Master of Coin, we see it a couple right. of times in Fire and Blood. And I'm going to throw it out there. I know everyone's shitting on Bronn, wanting to rebuild the brothels, and they're playing it off as a joke in the show. But I'm going to just say that the last prominent Master of Coin did own a lot of brothels.
0: Hmm. Remember that guy? Nope. Don't don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> I don't I'm know. Sorry. Dead to me. Dead to me. <laughs> literally. Uh, literally. And that does make sense as well that it's someone from the Reach. To be fair, because yeah. that is the most prosperous uh, area for growing things. Yeah. But yeah, I just don't. Whatever. Uh, I don't know. Davos is master of ships and grammar.
1: Mm hmm. Um, <laughs> I thought that was cute. There's like that little uh, memory of Stanley. the lord, the king that yeah. he served, the king yeah. he chose.
0: Back then, back then. Yeah. He's working on making an armada. And he needs, obviously, the Master of Coins help for that. Uh, Sam is going to research some cleaner water solutions. And Tyrion does his stupid jackass honeycomb joke. And I thought that was going to be it right there. I was like, oh, that's the episode. I and thought then so, the next too. As they were panning out, I was like, all right, that's a Game of Thrones. I was so mad. I was like, are you fucking me? We end on the honeycomb joke. Go fuck yourselves. But then we panned out to the next scene. And so. then you got a
1: perfect ending in last lines, didn't you, Chloe? I sure did. I
0: wrote that, Eliana. I wrote it. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk briefly. We talked a little bit about Aragorn's tax policy and the possibility of John being Frodo a couple weeks ago on our episode. And I know a lot of people are probably going to talk about this to, uh, this week in general. But I do want to come back to it. Uh, we have that that whole idea of what's Aragorn's tax policy, you know? Did he maintain a standing army? What did he do in times of flood and famine? What about all these orcs? By the end of the war, Sauron's gone, but all the orcs aren't gone. They're in the mountains. Did Aragorn pursue a policy of systematic genocide and kill them? Even the little baby orcs in their orc cradles? Uh, these are questions that George wanted to know. Right? He asked this of of Tolkien, of what, what would Tolkien do in this? Like, what was Aragorn's tax policy? He was just a king and he reigned for a couple hundred years, but we don't know why. You know, we don't have an answer to that. And my new uh, nuanced take here is the tax policy in A Song of Ice and Fire is this new council forming and making mm. decisions. And John was Frodo all along. When John comes back uh, from his journeys, fuck. When Frodo comes back from his journeys, there's this passage we read a tiny bit of last week or week before last, possibly. But I'm going to read it for you today because it really, really, really resonates. No, Sam, not yet anyway, not further than the Havens, though you too were a ring-bearer if only for a little while. Your time may come. Do not be sad, Sam. You cannot always be torn in two. You will have to be one and whole for many years. You have so much to enjoy and to be and to do. But, said Sam, and tears started in his eyes. I thought you were going to enjoy the Shire too for years and years after all that you've done. So I thought too, once. But I've been too deeply hurt, Sam. I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. It must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. But you are my heir. All that I had and might have had, I leave to you. So that's from Return of the King. Uh, And it's obviously Frodo returns from his journeys in protecting the ring and, you know, All the craziness that goes on. He comes back and says goodbyes to his people and to Samwise Gamgee. He says, you're my heir and I have to leave. I can't live here anymore. Just like Arya kind of did after last episode. So John is definitely the Frodo of this. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Someone has to give them up. Lose them so that others may keep them. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful parallel. And
0: even in that first paragraph, you know, the, the someone has to be whole.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great connection to the vibe that we get at the end of this episode.
0: We have this final montage. It mirrors the teaser trailer from the very beginning of the season, actually, where they're all in the crypts and you see each of them walking down the halls in the crypts of Winterfell. Uh, We have Arya, Sansa, and Jon. We do. Uh, Jon, quote
1: unquote, joins the Night's Watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll be back at Christmas for mashed neeps. Yeah, I mean, is there a Night's watch? Was that just a cover up? Was that a cover up that's story? What
0: it felt like I yeah. think so.
1: I think I that's what it was. I was talking with my boss, and we we're like, mm, so that was a cover up story, right? <laughs>
0: Anyway, you know we're never going to get to know, I guess, at this point. So we should just pretend it is, and pretend he's coming home to see his family or to see Sansa, I guess, at some point, just on holiday, you know. And then, of course, John reunites with Ghost up at the top,
1: and and then told uh... you so. Yep, yeah, I you did, and you know I forgive him now for not floofing Ghost you know that wow
0: wait 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 did you just say you forgive him
1: i forgive john for not fluffing ghost i don't necessarily forgive him for everything right that's not for me to do but it is for me to forgive him for not fluffing ghost he has done so and i have appealed to moderator of our fluffy dogs joe magician to unban john snow from our fluffy dogs
0: Well, I hope that he does.
1: Don't say I never did anything good for anyone.
0: Benevolent. Gracious. I
1: Mercy. Merciful, in fact.
0: Merciful queen.
1: I unbanned Jon Snow. Well, (laughs) I didn't do it. I appealed on his behalf. Anyways. Arya, then, is on a boat.
0: Yeah, she's gathering supplies for her trip. We see her... Uh, take her dagger and uh, there's this really cool part where uh, she's putting her dagger in its holster and John is putting Longclaw in his Mm. holster and then it shoots to Sansa who is getting dressed. Uh, I know that sounds silly, but we'll get there soon. Arya looks out at the waters with her crew and she's smiling and she's got the open air and the salty breeze on her and she looks great her outfit's great she just uh she's ready to explore ready for adventure
1: yeah she's got her stark sail she's it's like she's salty the character
0: yeah. <laughs> yes um,
1: that was the name she took uh briefly while on the ship and i love that her hair is different too mm-hmm. like i've never seen her hair like that in this show and i think hairstyles definitely have meaning in this show right like here you can oh, see yeah. she's ready for adventure she's different now we see that for each of the sark siblings in this montage like john's hair is completely down when he's out amongst the free folk he's just john again right his hair is loose and it's also like sansa sansa's hair isn't braided in any style anymore she's not copying anyone's hairstyle anymore she's wearing it down it is it's hers
0: yeah. Uh Interestingly enough, she had an interesting hairstyle during the council. She mm, did have two yeah. braids coming down, and the back was braided up. It was a different look, though, Yeah. Uh, than usual. It was like two braids on top of just her hair down with a braided bun. That was interesting. But in the next scene that we get of intercutting with the Sansa, and the scene we get of her, uh Sansa has her hair down, no braids whatsoever. Yes. And She's putting on a weirwood and scaled gown. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's being coronated with a stark crown How in the feel? north. Uh, it's really hard to talk about this because like, I didn't know about this. I knew a lot of stuff about this episode just because, A, obviously it was going to happen. B, leaks were all over. I didn't- this wasn't in any of the leaked material or any of the spoilers or anything anywhere, Eliana. This was- I did not know about this. It was this a was surprise like for you. It was a gift. Pretty much the biggest surprise in the whole story for me. Sansa Stark is crowned queen in the North after uh, two seasons of fighting for Northern, and three seasons of fighting for the North and Northern independence, like constantly. Uh, four, if you count season five, but who counts season five? Uh, it was amazing, and I think we have to have a fashion hour because this dress was just beautiful. Uh, one of my friends, Megan D, pointed out the wolves in her crown. There's two wolves and she's the second born.
1: Mm, I think that's a really good detail.
0: Yeah, I thought that was just brilliant. And the dress in general, it incorporates some really cool embroidery of the Tully scales and the arms and the weirwood leaves in the sleeves, of course, uh, to really represent her heritage, to bring out the old gods. And it, it also is a great, it's a great nice nod to Ned in the godswood and his religion and it just him going there mm-hmm. to which something that's something that sansa does a lot of right that's uh sansa even if she isn't praying she goes to godswood to get peace and quiet and that's what ned tended to do
1: i mean it was a place of strength for her even in king's landing and it's yeah. a place that helped her get out of king's landing too right through Sir Gauntas. she didn't
0: remove the chain by the way the chain is actually oh, i on. didn't see it um, it's really hard to see in the full-length shot. You can see it mm. coming out of her armor. Got it. Sorry. Yeah,
1: that's fine. She keeps some of those feathers also, that little bird yeah. imagery.
0: In fact, uh, so she has the weird thing about the sleeves is the sleeves, they show her putting them on. Mm-hmm. They're detachable. They're detached, this weird cape thing on her back that's fabric. And then the other side of the cape fabric is Kind of a nightswatch pelt almost hmm. that has been shaved down to have its own stark esque scales, and it has attached to it as you go down the cape. It has feathers coming out of it as well.
1: That's interesting. I it there's it's great because there's so much. You know they talk about the power of storytelling earlier in the episode and and Michelle Clapton
0: it. and Michelle Carragher deserve everything.
1: Yes, the story is being told through the clothes, and I think that's just such an amazing. I don't know, Statement on Clapton and, like, fucking Capstone. Like, all of them. Like, their stories are being told through their clothing. Yes. So
0: good. The last dialogue in the entire series is the Queen in the North. That's it. She's the Queen in the North. I mean, this is canon. I'm just it, putting that it out there. George, George literally said the main characters will be the same. Yeah. Uh, It's really crazy when we look back at this original outline of what was originally supposed to happen with Sansa uh, in the original 1993 outline. Each of the contending families will learn it has a member of dubious loyalty in its midst. Sansa Stark, wed to Joffrey Baratheon, will bear him a son, the heir to the throne, and when the crunch comes, she will choose her husband and child over her parents and siblings, a choice she will later bitterly rue. Tyrion Lannister, meanwhile, will befriend both Sansa and her sister Arya by growing more and more disenchanted with his own family. My, 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 how fucking far we've come.
1: Truly from pawn to player.
0: If a a pawn lives long enough, she gets to be queen.
1: Exactly. George with his chess. He loves chess. (laughs) uh, Coming in through the story and here it is. Sansa Stark. Queen in the
0: north. It did make me sad that all she wanted was to have her home back, and have her family back, and like have them in one place, and be able to protect them and keep them safe. Yeah, and they're all gone.
1: I th- yeah, I think that there is a That's little. That's very bit lonely. Of, yeah, there's a little bit of that bittersweetness. I think. In yeah, her that lonely face. god feel. Yep, that loneliness again. Like Theon Greyjoy's dead, and her siblings couldn't stay, and now you know somehow everyone's <laughs> accepted a two Stark regime somehow. Yeah.
0: Well, we're not going to try to make sense of it. That's fine. We're just going to nod our head. But I-, I would actually argue, yes, I know people are giving that a lot of shit with Bran, but the North has always been different. They're different people. They have different ways. They have the old way. It's the same thing how the Iron Islands is constantly trying to gain independence. Uh, the North has their own way, their own religion. Their region, their realm is the size of like two or three of the South, uh, they have sparse land. They're they're very different. They they believe in tree gods. Uh, I just don't see them wanting to bend the knee even to Bran.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think I feel feel the same about the Iron Islands, and people have brought that up. But at the same time, I can see Asha's storyline, especially based on her King's Moot speech. Yeah, like beginning to bend towards being part of the Seven. Sorry, six kingdoms. <laughs> I fucked that up. <laughs> and then, of course, there's a place beyond the kingdoms, right? This is where John, in our entire story, ends. John is leaving the wall. He looks back yeah. as the gates close behind him and joins the free folk.
0: Wow. Yeah. Then it's nice. He, uh, he ends up taking the punishment that Ned was supposed to have, but Ned obviously was killed. No mercy was shown, and he did not get that punishment.
1: Yeah, he did not because Bran is not Joffrey, of course, and you know now John's not John Snow. He's not John Stark. He's not John Targaryen. Yep, he's John, not John. Now out there, he's he's himself, and he gets to choose the rest of his life from there on out. He gets to be a free folk. A free person. He's a free boy. And I think that's a... People have pointed out, of course, that this is a parallel of those first few scenes in the series. And, of course, it is. But it's very beautiful. It's full of Mm -hmm. life, full of people. That freedom. It's a hopeful. I think that's a a rather hopeful ending. no, I agree. I
0: I think it's a very hopeful... That's what the Lady Shelley on Twitter and I were discussing, Mm -hmm. that you know, she's not upset. She's a huge John fan, and she's not upset because it does. It leaves it open-ended. It means that maybe John does heal from his trauma and his, like, scars in inside and outside. Uh, heal from it and allow people in and... <sighs> yeah. It, it's... It's sad, but it's beautiful, in my opinion. I think it's a really good ending for John.
1: I agree. I I'm happy for him, and... I don't know. I'm not I'm happy for him and I'm not happy for him. You know, after yeah. everything that he's been through but and you know the things that he did, you know, those actions, making that choice, but it was a good it was a good ending note and scene and especially upon a rewatch I think that landed.
0: Yeah. Uh the second time I liked it a lot better Same. watching it the second time. Uh the first time I had had a little bit to drink. With our friends over at Game Owns and Haley Bowery of the Manimals. so uh, I needed that second view. I needed a sober yeah. view to clear my mind and now I'm like I could even do a third. I think Wow. I think so. I I think I give it an eight or nine.
1: I would give it
0: Am I a trader now?
1: I don't know. I'm bad at assigning these numbers. Hmm. What are the, what is the scale that we used on Maester Monthly? We had apples to dingoes, but I don't know.
0: <laughs> Where I'm gonna go on this. Oh no, no, no. Let's uh let's go on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's it. Right? Yeah.
0: I think that's that's it. That's the episode. That's the series.
1: That's the series, you know, until the books come out.
0: Yeah, I, I'm so excited they're making books uh off this show. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I think we're gonna have to end up doing a total Game of Thrones series wrap-up episode in the next few weeks, mm-hmm. just to chat about our thoughts because I have so many thoughts now. Uh, just how this relates to the story, what's real, what's not, all the good stuff.
1: Yeah, we'll figure out when that makes sense. When it's yeah, when we feel far, but still so close enough to do it.
0: Yeah. And hey, if you're listening to this, if you came here just for this podcast, you haven't tuned in to our regular A Song of Ice and Fire read through, we read through the A Song of Ice and Fire books chapter by chapter, but point of view character by point of view character. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're actually working on Jon Snow. We just got to A Clash of Kings, the second book in the A Song of Ice and Fire installments, uh, and it's going really well right now, and we have a lot of new information to really tear our teeth into and uh, think about after this, after all this, this penultimate ending. So thanks for checking us out. If you guys were just along for the show ride, uh, please feel free to hang out with us and listen to our regular podcast too.
1: Yes. Because we still have content for that and we're not going to stop exploring these books. We love this story.
0: Yeah. We're here to stay.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we love all of you. Thanks for being here on this ride the past few years. I mean, we haven't been doing this podcast the past few years, but a lot of us have been on this journey together. and
0: Yeah.
1: It's been, what? what is it John says? It was the honor of my life.
0: Yeah, it was an honor, and I, I want to give a special thank you to you for being my partner. Oh, I'm you are cry. so smart, and you always say the best stuff. And I am lucky to have you on here. And this was such a journey to get through this show, uh, through the good, the bad, the ugly, the good writing, the awful writing, the uh, the the shock value, the lack of females, and I just. <laughs> I'm very lucky to have you. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, Eliana, for being the best co-host. And to many more episodes of Girls Gone Canon.
1: Thank you. But no
0: more of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Except thank for God. our wrap-up
1: episode, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> of course, thank you, Chloe, for being here with me and like, keeping me going when I'm just like, ah! <laughs> and I don't know, you're an inspiration to me. No, you really are. I know that we like are doing this thing right now, but you really are. I'm always like, Chloe's like the most yeah. hardworking no, you're the most hardworking. Yeah. Shut up! You're pretty. She's the most hardworking woman I know. No, like, you'd be the pretty one. Even, even like not just on this, you know, just yes. in general. Yeah, you're a superwoman.
0: Yeah. Well, girls gone cannon. Long may they reign. Long may we reign. <laughs> cannon in the north. Well, as always, make sure you subscribe to us. Uh, you can check us out at Podbean. At Spotify, at iTunes, at Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, wherever you get your podcasts. Take a listen.
1: Yep, and of course, I mean, again, you've all been on this journey with us. Say something to us if you like. You can find us on Twitter at Girls Gone Cannon, or you can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com.
0: And hey, if you have not checked out our Patreon, we do have a Patreon. We're jingling that tip jar at you. Uh, $5 up patrons do have access to special episodes that the rest of the realm does not get to hear. These episodes come out once a month. This month's episode is going to be on prophecy and how it affects series, prophecy in the series, green sight, seers, etc. Uh, that should be coming out in the next week or two. So pay attention to that by the end of May.
1: Yes, and of course, you know, we need some time to process everything that's happened. You are going to get your episode of A Clash of Kings intro to John as well as John's first chapter in A Clash of Kings this week. Uh, If you're a patron, depending on your tier, you'll get it on Wednesday or Thursday. And the public release episode goes out on Friday, the 24th. And with all that, we will be putting out a couple of other things, including that Patreon episode on prophecy within the next week. But there is no John chapter uh, that releases for the public on May 31st. And that means none on like the 29th and 30th. We are
0: taking a break. (sighs) Yep. We got to take a quick break, you know, two tired moms. Time skip. Time skip. Time skip. We're doing a five year gap. Just kidding. Uh (laughs) thanks so much you guys as always i am chloe signing off my watch has ended
1: and my watch has ended i am eliana bye guys